afternoon. Looks like this side won. This side seems to have less people, but anyway, it's good to see all of you here. Uh, just a reminder that next Sunday we are um, having a little different service. 9.45 will be an early worship service. There'll be no Sunday school classes. And then a brunch. You can sign up for the brunch on the website and then um, the regular worship service at 11. And that'll be it for the day uh, next week. So keep that in mind. Did everybody get a Psalm 145? Did you get one of these? Anybody need one? Raise your hand if you don't have one. Got them? All right, this is Psalms 145. We will sing it to the tune of Jesus Shall Reign. This is only the opening verses of the psalm, not the complete psalm, but Cliff will take us through that here in a little bit. Uh, but let us uh, join together and sing the Psalm 145. Take a moment to invite Christ to come and meet with his people. Brother Wade, would you lead us in that prayer, please?
where we have all your works shall praise you, O Yahweh, and your saints shall bless you. I believe what we are praising, or what David is praising, is God's work in the saints. This reminds me of Ephesians 1, 19, where we have the exceeding greatness of his power that he exercises in his people when he raises them from the dead. And is there a greater, a mightier, or more terrifying act than redemption from sin? What God did uh, in our salvation. The raising of the sinner from the dead. And isn't that what the Passover and the Exodus and the conquest of Canaan all typify? Glory. So, there's a lot of theology here as well. Um, just quickly, uh, Yahweh is, verse 3, great. And note that even the children downstairs can understand that God is great. You can teach them that. But notice the qualifying phrase, his greatness is unsearchable. You can't find him out. You can't come to the end of, of theology. Always be uh, throughout eternity uh, new uh, revelations of who God is, what He has done in each of His people. Verse 8, God is gracious. Verse 9, God is good. Verse 17, God is righteous. And again in verse 17, the pinnacle of who God is, God is. Follow along as I read Psalm 145. David, psalm of praise. I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day will I bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great Yahweh, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another, shall declare your mighty acts. I will speak of the glorious honor of your majesty and of your wondrous works. All shall speak of the might of your terrifying acts, and I will declare your greatness. They shall abundantly utter the memory of your great goodness and shall sing of your righteousness. Yahweh, gracious full of compassion, slow to anger, and of great mercy. Yahweh, good to all, and his tender mercies over all his works. All your works shall praise you, O Yahweh, and your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power. To make known to the sons of men his mighty acts, and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom whose dominion endures throughout all generations. Yahweh upholds all that fall and raises up all that be bowed down. The eyes of all wait upon you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Yahweh Righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. Yahweh, near unto all them that call upon him, 
wicked will he destroy. My mouth shall speak the praise of Yahweh, and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Now take the Trinity hymn book, turning to 226. 226, rejoice, the Lord is King. 226. seated. Well, Mark chapter 11, Mark chapter 11, when considering praying over, giving serious thought to what to look at this afternoon, I decided to land upon the triumphal entry of our, of our Lord found here in Mark chapter 11. It is a day on your calendars that's marked as Palm Sunday doesn't mean we necessarily have to observe a Palm Sunday, but I thought maybe our minds and thoughts might go there. I must, I must confess that on my way to the house after the morning worship service, I began thinking to myself that I, I should have opened up and wished I would have opened up uh, really what it looks like to keep your own heart. 
I mean, that was the exhortation this morning. Keep your own heart. He that thinketh he standeth, take heed lest he fall. And what does that look like? And I, I found myself as driving home thinking, okay, what does that look like exactly? And I, and I thought about, I thought about how important, I may end up preaching it here anyway. I thought about how important it is when you stop and consider that, I mean, Paul tells Timothy, to refuse profane and old wise fables and exercise thyself unto godliness. He also tells Timothy to keep his heart in his doctrine, for in doing so he will both save himself and those that hear him. I mean, that, that speaks of the importance of keeping our hearts. I mean, if, if Paul felt he needed to admonish Timothy to do such, I mean, Timothy was well known. Uh, Timothy spoke so, I mean, Paul spoke so highly of Timothy, and yet he tells him, you've got to keep your own heart. You need to do that. And then I thought about the seven churches there in the book of Revelation and how most of them, not all of them, I think all but two, uh, our Lord condemns because either they've lost their first love, they've grown cold, they're compromising the truth, they're following after false prophets. And so, I mean, that's a, that's a real warning for us. And, and i got to finish this. Uh, and how important it is that we keep our hearts, and by that, I thought of things like, man, don't neglect the means of grace. I mean, that's, that's not rocket science. That's just elementary truths. Stay in the Word of God. Have time with God every day where you commune with Him and He communes with you through the Bible. Keep short accounts with God. I mean, if you know there's sin and, 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 and ask God, search me and know me, that sin might be revealed and we might be quick to confess it. I thought things like uh, don't, don't neglect the means of grace of the Lord's Day and of meeting with God's people, how important that is. Nobody should be satisfied with, unless providentially hindered with watching this on, on, on live streaming. We need to fellowship with one another. We need each other, how important all that is. And Those are just some of the things that were going through my mind, and, and, and I could think of other things that that are so important, I mean, just to, to keep sweet fellowship and a heart that's warm towards God and how important that is. So maybe that'll be a series someplace down the road, but uh, just sharing a little bit of my thoughts as I was driving home and even on the way back, I was trying to think, I couldn't drive and write, so I couldn't write my thoughts down. And so I thought I better not do this because I might get in trouble if I haven't really looked at it. But anyway... Instead, we're going to look at this, Mark chapter 11. I just want to bring out a few things here in this narrative, starting in verse 1. And as they approached Jerusalem, Epithesda and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there on which no one yet has ever sat. Untie it. And bring it here. If anyone says to you, what are you do, why are you doing this? You say, the Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send it back here. And they went away and found the coat tied at the door outside the street. And they untied it. And some of the bystanders were saying to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had told them. And they gave them permission. And they brought the coat to Jesus and put their clothes or their coats on it, and he sat on it. 
And many spread their coats in the road, and others spread their leafy branches, which they had cut from the field. And those who went in front and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming of the kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and came into the temple. And after looking around at everything, he left for Bethany with the twelve, since it was already very late. Well, again, this is a familiar passage to most of us. It is referred to as the triumphal entry of our Lord. It, it is what some consider to be the, the beginning of the Passion Week, which will then lead to Good Friday and the death of Christ, leading to Easter and the resurrection of Christ. It's also interesting to note that this event is recorded in all four of the Gospels. Now, and I usually, if something's recorded that much, it, it pays some a need for us to give attention to it. It's recorded in Matthew 21 and Luke 19, John chapter 12, and here in Mark chapter 11. And what I want us to do here for a few minutes this afternoon is I want us to consider this passage from a, a couple different perspectives. I, I want you to consider it from the work of Jesus and then secondly from the response of the people. So those two things. First of all, consider it with me from the work of Jesus. And, and under this point, I, I want you to consider three things with me. As we think about the actions that Christ took here in this passage, the first thing I want you to notice is this, that what takes place was planned. What takes place was planned. All this takes place, and it was not a matter of chance. It wasn't a matter of, wow, how lucky. You walk in and you find a colt. How did that happen? But, but everything was planned. Now, I don't know, and, and, there, and there's both sides of the story. I don't know if this was part of the omniscience of Jesus Christ, that he knew all things to the degree that he knew there'd be a cult there and he knew that there'd be somebody stopping his disciples and asking the question. Or, and I tend to lean more towards this, I believe it was something that was premeditated. It was already designed to take place. And Christ knew this. It was planned. I mean, the location... We read here, immediately as you enter, you will find a colt. Right? It's not as you go to Jerusalem, go to the nearest colt dealership and pick me out a colt. It was as you enter Jerusalem, there will be a colt there. Right? So, so the location... Seems to be planned. Um, it's also seemed to be planned that it was a cult that was never set upon. He doesn't say, go, go to the nearest cult dealership and don't buy me a used cult. cult. Give me one that's never been set upon. But, but one will be there as you're entering it 
And it's going to be one that's never been set upon. Now, the importance of this is that in the Old Testament, such an animal was placed into royal service. It would have to be one that had never been set upon. It would be what we might call an unbroken beast. We read about this in Deuteronomy 19, I mean Deuteronomy 21 and Numbers 19. This is also the fulfillment of the prophecy of Zechariah in Zechariah 9.9. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey. So this was the fulfillment of that prophecy. And then we see that perhaps this was planned even because of how they secured the colt. They're told when you go there, someone's going to say to you, why are you doing this? And, and it's almost as though he says, here's the password. And the password is, as we read here, the Lord needs it. The Lord needs it. And I, and I believe, now, now perhaps, I mean, God works in hearts and God performs wonders. Maybe, maybe God worked in the heart of somebody. The crowd said, what are you doing? They said, the Lord has need of it. And they said, okay, go. I mean, it would almost be like someone goes out to the parking lot and the Bachmeyers have left their keys in the car. And as you're walking out, and you know the Bachmeyers' car, and there's somebody reaching in, setting down, and starting up the engine. And you look at them and say, what are you doing? And they look at you and say, the Lord has need of it. And you say, oh, okay. All right. So, so I think some of this had to be planned. That, that when you come into the town, there's that colt. Someone will say, what are you doing when you're getting ready to take it? And you say, the Lord has need of it. And they'll say, oh, okay, go, take it. All right. So, so we read here that what our Lord did seems to have been planned. Secondly, I would say this. What takes place takes place with some excitement. Some excitement. We often read in the New Testament that, that when Christ and His disciples were together, that they, they needed some alone time. They, they, they get into an isolated place. But here, there, there is this crowd of people. This is far from taking place without anybody noticing it. I mean, we read here that there, there seems to be a crowd of people that were following them. And it seems to indicate there were people coming out from Jerusalem meeting them. So, so there's almost this picture of a crowd of people in front of them and a crowd of people behind them. He, he comes into the city in such a way that, that the people would, would recognize that this is the Messiah. 
Now, that may not have the same ring to it for us that it did for them, but this has been a long time in coming. They have greatly anticipated it. And now here comes one riding on a colt or a donkey, and he, he seems to be the Messiah. Not too long before this, there was that time when, when Christ fed the 5,000, and the response of some was to take him by force in order to recognize him as that one. And just before this, there was this man by the name of Bartimaeus who was blind. And now he can see because of meeting this one named Jesus. This must be the, the Messiah that we've been waiting for. And that's why, they, they, and we'll get to that here in a minute, but, but, but they're throwing palm leaves down and their coats down as he's coming in as, as, a, as a, uh, an issue of honor, of royalty. This is the king. Now that leads us to say not only do we see this is planned and there's some excitement, but thirdly, I would just say this, what takes place takes him to a place of danger, a danger. For him to declare by his actions that, that he's the Messiah, that he is the King of the Jews, the, the long-awaited Son of David, would have placed him in danger. And here's why. Because they misunderstood exactly what that meant. They were thinking, he's going to overthrow the Roman government. He's going to set up a kingdom. Things are, are going to look better for us. No longer living in what we might consider bondage, but now have real freedom as the Messiah has come to set up His kingdom. And when they find out their thoughts were wrong, that places Him in danger. In fact... Pretty soon we'll hear the cry, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! So, so here we see the work of Christ. But notice secondly with me the response of the crowd. And we sort of touched on some of these things, but just let me set them before you again. There, there are three things that I would mark with regard to the response of the crowd. Number one, th their response was one of enthusiasm. Enthusiasm. I mean, he comes in. They have the, 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 the donkey. The disciples place their coats on the donkey. Verse 7 there. And they brought the coat to, coat to Jesus and put their coats on it and He sat on it. The crowd spread their garments on the road. They, they made a carpet of their garments for Him to ride upon. There in verse 8, Many spread their coats in the road, and others spread leafy branches which they had cut from the fields. I think here in Mark's account, it's, it's almost as though it says they brought a massive leaves. I mean, they brought a lot. In Second Kings... Second Kings chapter 9, 
we read that after God had anointed Jehu king over Israel, he told his fellow officers about what had happened. And we read their response was this, Then they hurried, and each man took his, his garment and placed it under him on the bare steps and blew the trumpet, saying, Jehu is king. So here we see the practice. When one was recognized as king, they would take off their garments and, and place them under him. They also spread the leaves, the branches. They cut branches from the trees. And, and this would be a sign of joy and delight. God tells Moses to tell, to tell Israel in Leviticus 23 and verse 40, On the first day you are to take choice fruits from the trees, palm branches, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. This, this was a time of, of great celebration. There, there was perhaps a festive spirit about all this. And, and all along, they're, they're crying out, Hosanna! The Lord saves! The, the Lord delivers! Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. So there's this enthusiasm that marks their response. Secondly, it is marked by expectation. Expectation. This action taking place would have been understood that, that Jesus is declaring his Messiahship. Again, we already mentioned those following Christ and, and those who were ahead of Christ were shouting. They were shouting the, the songs of the pilgrims. They, they, they're, they're quoting the, the Hallelujah Psalms from Psalm 113 to 118. But here they quote 118. Hosanna! Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. And when you go back to Zechariah's prophecy in Zechariah 9 9, and you understand what they're thinking because there we read, Behold, your king is coming. Behold, your king is coming to you. What a, what a wonderful thing! The long expected Messiah. When Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 29, speaks of the coming of the Messiah, we read these words, On that day the death will hear words of the book, and out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind will see. What just happened? Barnabas, a blind man, meets Jesus, and he now sees. It must be. This must be the Messiah. He is our King. And so, there's enthusiasm. There's expectation. But thirdly, there's confusion. There's confusion. This crowd was shouting, The Lord saves us. The Lord saves us. 
And they were not thinking about the Gospel. They were not thinking about the doctrine of justification. They were not thinking about the atonement and the shedding of His blood. They were thinking about a political revolution. They were thinking about an insurrection, an uprising that would take place. And Roman authorities would be overturned. And there would be the establishment of an earthly kingdom where Christ rules and reigns as the King over His kingdom. That's what their thoughts were. And that misunderstanding carried on. Remember, even the disciples, when they're in Acts chapter 1, they ask our Lord, is this the time? Is now, is now going to, you're going to be this king? Are you going to establish your kingdom? And, and he had to say, no, no, go preach the gospel. John the, John the Baptist, when, when he was in prison, and, and, and he's sitting there thinking, well, wait a minute, I thought the kingdom was coming with the Messiah. And now here I am in prison. What's going on? And he sent his disciples to Christ to say, are, are you the one or should we look for another? This wasn't what we were expecting. We thought when the kingdom was established with the coming of the Messiah, the righteous would prosper and the wicked would be put down. But, but here I am still in prison, still being persecuted. You see, their, their hope for deliverance was material, not spiritual. It was material not spiritual. They wanted an earthly kingdom. They wanted a piece of real estate they could call their own where, where the Messiah would reign and rule. So has the kingdom come? Yes. Remember this morning we read there in John chapter 16, before some of you would die, my kingdom will be established. Because the kingdom was established with the coming of Christ. And it's not a piece of real estate. It's a kingdom within our hearts where He brings His elect people to Himself and rules over them until He comes again where there will be the establishment of a new heaven and a new earth. But they didn't understand that. They had a misconception. They were perplexed. And so here we have this triumphal entry of our Lord into Jerusalem. And, and just on the side, when I, read, when I read verse 11, Jesus entered Jerusalem and came into the temple. And after looking around at everything, He left for Bethany with the twelve since it was already late. I, I wonder, I wonder... When he went to the temple and he looks around, now it's late and it's been a big day and the excitement's all... T I wonder what he's thinking. I wonder what he's thinking. I wonder as he looks around and he thinks to himself, you know, I must be about my father's business. Look at this place. Money changers are in here. Look at what they've done to my, God, my father's house. But he doesn't do anything. But he leaves. He also maybe is contemplating the fact that 
Boy, what a day this has been. But man, what's coming? What's coming? A few minutes ago, I was riding on a donkey and people were shouting, Hosanna, the Lord save us! Putting palm branches down in front of me. And there were all around me are people. Now here I am. And I'm about ready to endure the most despicable thing I could imagine. I've even cried, Lord, let this cup pass from me. The one who knew no sin was going to have sin placed upon him. And for a moment, God the Father would turn his back on God the Son and he would cry out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And yet, he doesn't run. He doesn't hide. But he, with determination, seeks to finish the work God sent him to do in giving his life a ransom for many. And so one word of application that we could make from this, because as we read through this and we realize the, the misunderstanding that these people had, and we see that in reality, these people who, I don't know if it was the same people or not, but for one minute they're crying, Hosanna, the Lord saves us. And the next minute the cry is, crucify Him, crucify Him. And what love He has for His people. Because he would not be deterred from that which he was sent to do. To give his life a ransom for many. And so, when we read something like this, we might say, what a tragedy. These people misunderstood. What a tragedy. But no, my friends, it is the triumphal entry. Because he's coming to finish the work of giving his life that he might redeem a people for himself. He will see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. It is a triumphal entry. But a couple more words of application just to set before you. And that is this. In, in this passage, we have an obvious example of the worthlessness of man's praise. I mean, here he... Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes... They, they are praising his name. The admiring crowd had gathered around our Lord as he entered Jerusalem. But yet none stood by him when he was delivered into the hands of wicked men. Many cried, Hosanna! who a few days later may have been crying, crucify Him. This is, this is what we might call a, a, a sincere, faithful picture of human nature. This is proof of the utter folly, the utter folly of seeking the praise of men more than you seek the praise of God. It is true. That men are so fickled and uncertain. Popularity won't last. I mean, over the years, I, mean, I can look back and think of some people who, who I've rubbed shoulders with who, who thought, 
this was the greatest place and, 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 and you're such a great pastor who then by and by they're gone and they're not speaking so well. If you're seeking the praise of men, you're going to be disappointed by and by. It's going to happen. It, it's, a very, it's a very sandy foundation that is sure to feel, fail if you build your life on the praise of men. And so let us, let us by God's grace, seek the praise of God. Which do you desire more? To have people pat you on the back and say, well done? Or to one day hear your Lord say, well done? And so here's a, just a few thoughts with regard to this triumphal entry. I pray God will use it to draw us closer to Him, to give Him thanks for His love for His finished work, and to keep us faithfully serving Him, desiring His praise above everything else. Let's pray together. Father, again, we give You thanks for this event that took place in history. We thank You for the lessons that we can glean from such a passage as this. And pray that, Father, uh, you would use it to only draw us closer to You. Father, we're thankful for Your Son, Jesus Christ. and thankful for the life that we can have in Him. Thank You that his, He set His face like flint for Jerusalem because He knew there was a work that He must accomplish. And we thank You that we hear Him cry on the cross, It is finished. It is done. And that many of us that gather here this afternoon are the children of God because of what He accomplished there on the cross. And Father, we pray that we would be a people that would make it our priority to seek the praise and the well done from God Himself. Help us, we pray, as we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. As we bring our day to a close, I would ask that you take the Trinity Hymn Book, the Trinity Hymn Book, turning over to hymn number 173, 173, all glory, laud, and honor to Thee, Redeemer King, 173.